welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. Welcome to the Dr. Diaries podcast. We're recording here today at the Australian Society of Cosmetic Dermatology Conference being held at The Crown in Melbourne, Australia. It's our absolute privilege today to have as our guest, Associate Professor Philip Beckhaw. Associate Professor Beckhaw is a graduate of the University of Melbourne and a fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists. He trained both in Melbourne and Toronto, Canada. He is a specialist in procedural dermatology, which involves the laser and surgical management of skin disorders, including cosmetic dermatology. He is also foundation director of the laser unit department of the dermatology at Royal Children's Hospital in Victoria, Australia. In 1993, Associate Professor Beckhaw established Laser Dermatology, a private specialist supervised laser clinic in Mont Albert, Victoria, Australia. Welcome, Philip. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's um, my absolute pleasure and I've been wanting to have you on as a guest of our podcast for such a long time. So your reputation precedes you and um, you are a true trailblazer in this space, but take us back to the beginning. How did your interest start in this area and how has it evolved? Well, when I was a medical student and uh, a resident, I always wanted to be surgical and procedural. And I was actually in my second year a surgical resident. So I did sections in orthopedics, plastics and things like that. But I was actually misdiagnosed with an eye disorder that might have been progressive. So rather than doing ENT, which I'd wanted to do, I thought that dermatology would be better because I could see its potential to be both surgical and medical. And if my eyesight did deteriorate, which it absolutely didn't, I would be covered. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So your own personal experience led you in a different direction in medicine. Yep. And I just saw the potential in dermatology, that it was potentially a surgical specialty that had not yet been developed. That's very interesting. So you entered into dermatology in those early years and went through the training. So at what point did you feel that you were able to influence or change how you practised dermatology that was traditionally taught to you? Um, Well, what I discovered in dermatology, you know, the study of dermatology is amazing, but we were dealing with incredibly rare diseases. You know, the the diagnostic phase, the deductions, the systematic thinking to come to a diagnosis fascinated me. But unfortunately, in the real world of dermatology, we're basically treating warts, eczema and psoriasis. We just hardly see the things that we were trained to see. And I'd always been I always wanted to be the best I could be and cutting edge. So influenced by my interest in surgery and developments in the US, um, I started moving down the pathway of upgrading the quality of surgery in dermatology. I probably the, the first person to commit to dermatologic surgery mm. in, in Australia. And I, I set up 
you know, I made, having had the surgical training in my residency, that was a good basis when I was in Canada. I got friendly with an ENT surgeon and used to do a small operating list with him. And gradually I started teaching other people how to do the surgery. And alongside this came Mohs surgery, which is a, a special technique for advanced skin cancers, and surgery took off. But yeah. I, I was always interested in new stuff and I, I needed to be cutting edge and lasers were starting to mm. evolve and I I thought, you know, I just, if they're doing it in America, I felt we had to do it here and I... Um, this is like in the early 80s, I, I found a, the ophthalmologist with the earliest interlaser and I found an ophthalmologist who had a laser that could also be used for dermatology applications. So in the very early 80s, I started using laser and just watched the story unfold. Mm. So what kind of indications were you treating in the early stages with the lasers? Um, the lasers were popularised for the possibility of treating port wine stains, you mm. know, the sort of coloured marks on people's faces. And existing treatment was just no good, really. Cosmetic cover-up makeup was the best. Some people were even tattooing them, which really didn't work very well. So there was a need. But like everything else, it was oversold and I rapidly discovered it wasn't that effective and that everybody that we treated was left with a little bit of whitish scarring. Mm. So it was interesting and, you know, you always wonder, is is the technology no good or are you no good? And and you never know the answer. And what was it? You never knew. Well, at the time, I thought it was a bit of both, but further on, I realised that there was nothing wrong with me, there was something wrong with the equipment. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, after all those years of training, I would have suspected. So you persevered, though, with the laser. I know as you you can see where I'm steering you because you're so well-renowned in your expertise in that area of lasers. So maybe take us more how, how that evolved. Well, then the next thing was that... A laser company developed in Australia making a copper vapour laser and I became friendly with Milton Weiner, who was uh, now in New York, who was the proponent of that laser. I mean, again, this was a disastrous laser. There was a system of using magnification to treat. Again, it was oversold. The laser took 45 minutes to warm up and was broken down all the time. <laughs> but because I was interested in my, you know, I had partners with me at that stage, um, Peter Sinclair, Greg Goodman, yes. Michael um, Ridge, and they all lost interest rapidly because they were more sensible than me. But for me, you know, once I was into something, I, I just needed to make it work. So they all stopped doing working there and I was the guy that kept using it. <laughs> so you all started out in Mont, Mont Albert together? No, this was a, we just in Turak in Melbourne. We, we, oh, at the we track got it, there? Yeah, at the I track. I remember that. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We set this up oh, wow. to stay cutting edge. Yes, fantastic. So you went off on your own. Well, no, I didn't. They were still with me, but I was the only guy that was still going in, in there to do it. Yes. But at around this stage, there was actually a big development in laser by a guy called Rox Anderson, which was called the Pulse Dye Laser, and Candela was the first, which actually did work. It was based on a completely different principle rather than just burning it. The, the, the timing of the laser zap was so short it actually didn't burn or blister, and it was actually the first laser that actually worked and left normal skin behind. Mm. And I was friendly with uh, George Varagos, who was the head of uh, the Royal Children's Hospital Pediatric Department, um, and the government was under pressure to provide these lasers free to the hospital, and, you know, he chatted with me and asked me if, if I would set the unit up, and I did. So oh, great. So was, that's the, that's your foundation director of the yeah, laser unit? That's right, and that was in about 1979, uh, 1989 wow. that happened. that's amazing. And can you tell me? 
like at the Royal Children's, I can imagine the kind of patients that presented something that really sticks in your mind in terms of the effectiveness of the laser and the differences it made. Well, look, again, I mean, when you do something, you, the press always oversell it. But, you know, if you're doing it, you're, you're more aware of the people that you're not helping than the people that you're helping. And no mm. medical treatment works for everyone. So, yep, we got 20% of our patients almost cleared, but there was really a hardcore of 20% that didn't respond. But, you know... When I first moved into the space, I, I was hoping that we would clear these things completely. But I soon discovered even if you only got a 50% reduction, the people were much happier and moved on. I mean, I had stories of a patient who had one on her leg and I improved it maybe 40% and her mother was so happy. She said she's going to the beach now, she's wearing uh, swimsuits. So I don't understand really how people's minds work, but any improvement seems to be appreciated. Oh, uh, yes. It's an interesting thing that you say, but I, if you've got a, sort of a condition that's stopping you from going out in public or enjoying life, uh, it's good to hear that any, any improvement is, is uh, you obviously have changed a lot of lives out there. Well, you hope so. Yeah. So you're doing that at the Children's Hospital, but tell me a bit more about laser dermatology that you set up at Mon Albert. Well, we started to get the same lasers we had at the children at Mont Albert because we also had adult patients who needed treatment. Mm. And uh, one laser led to another and, you know, just wanting, you know, I never really did a business plan on any of this stuff. If there was a new laser that could do something that I needed to do, I would get it. So gradually we collected a, a large array of lasers. And how much do we have there at the practice? Could I, just, you... I can't, I can't remember, <laughs> maybe six or seven. Yeah. Lots, lots of different lasers to specifically yeah. do different things. But then at the same time, I'm also um, with Greg Goodman, we, we set up the Mohs surgery unit at the Children's Hospital. So mm. I was training with him into Mohs surgery. So at the same time, I've got the, the surgical skin cancer side mm. of my interest. And I just found in the end that I just needed to be doing something new or different and developing things. Mm. So with the Mohs, um, I'm familiar with the Mohs, working with so many dermatologists, there wasn't Mohs really performed in Australia before you guys were sort of in that area or? Uh, no, it wasn't. And then oh, um, a colleague of ours, Rob Paver, actually went overseas and then trained in it properly and then he trained Greg and then I trained with Greg at the Skin Health, what's now called the Skin Health Institute. Yes, there in Carlton. Yep. Mm. So in your private practice now, where's your major focus? Um, well, a lot of the patients I see are children and babies with birthmarks, which is, you know, a nice medical side. And what I've we discovered at the children's is that the parents are obviously very anxious and we intervene really early with these patients. <laughs> we, we can treat a lot more of the things that we weren't able to. The, the treatment of hemangiomas or strawberry marks has been mm. revolutionised with a propranolol therapy, which was only discovered about 2008. So I'm just lucky that the things that I struggled with, um, new treatments have come on board that are effective. Well, I don't know that you're lucky. I think um, you're maybe brave because you're, <laughs> you are open to new technologies or ways to do things early on, which is, is that how you've always been? Look, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, <clears throat> one of the signs of ageing is not taking things on. You know, people may say I don't take stuff on, but I made a decision. I'm not taking on procedures which fail in 50% cases and I'm not interested in procedures that, you know, like, for example, there was one procedure that may be an alternative to a facelift and I looked at the data and the really good ones were sort of lifting by three millimetres. Well, I said, you know, three millimetres, you won't even see it in a picture. So... 
I just gradually decide I want to be in the space. Maybe I need the, the stroking from patients, but I want to be in the space where if you look at a before and after picture, it's obvious to everybody that it's worked. So, mm. you know, if I'm going to choose technologies, I want technologies that work, definitely work. Yes. Right. Now, I know that you've also, you're, you're doing a lot in the medical space, but there's a strong, correct me if I'm wrong, um, cosmetic focus at your practice as well because of the technologies. And I suppose where your reputation proceeds to is really in the early days to dealing with tattooing and getting rid of tattoos. Well, again, you know, you get one laser and as new top technologies come on board, you adopt the others. So when lasers came out that actually could work on tattoos, definitely I got them. But the same lasers that work on tattoos also work on uh, brown birthmarks. So even though it seems weird, here's a guy who's working in paediatric patients, what's he doing messing with tattoos? So mm. it's the same technology and one of the advantages of working – the space for risk and trying is much greater in adults than in children. You know, mm. we just cannot tolerate complications in children. So you need to have the freedom of working in adults who can understand and consent to develop the techniques that you then take back to use in children. That totally makes sense because they're so vulnerable at such a young age where a consenting adult can be more more tolerable to those things, absolutely. And the amazing thing is the technology that removed tattoos is the same technology that removes a birthmark called a um, nevus avota, which mm. is a grey slate-coloured birthmark, very common in Asian patients. So it's the same technology and if you're an expert in one area, you can apply that expertise into another area, different age group. Fantastic. It's just fascinating, this area. What I think is good also, it's such a visual change. So, Phil, where do you see this sort of the lasers and the industry going next? Look, I think things are improving all the time. We just had a great talk from Chris Zachary from San Francisco talking about uh, a nanosecond ultrasound shot system Then he showed some interesting pictures of improving uh, cellulite. Well, I'm not sure that I'm particularly interested in targeting cellulite in my practice, but certainly... I'm also involved in advising other clinics. Uh, that might be an interesting direction. I, if we really had something that 90% of people with cellulite could have that smoothed out, I would say that was a good thing. Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear at these types of conferences, there's always something new, always something new happening. Yeah. Well, you know, just in terms of another comment that I, that I would make is that, you know, to stay active, you have to embrace new technologies as they come on. The, the minute you stop embracing things, you know, you're signing your own basic death warrant, I mm. think. So, and I would include that with computers. Like, you know, when computers came out, I made certain that I could touch type. So I can touch type, meaning that's perfect for taking things with computers. And, I, and my mother was a great inspiration to me because she, at any age, embraced the new technology. And she was totally all over her iPhone. And so when she was about 87 or 88 and she started getting short-term memory loss, she totally programmed her iPhone calendar and was able to function and stay at home because all her doctors and appointments and everything she needed to do, at one stage even reminding her to have breakfast, lunch and dinner, she programmed into her phone. That's so amazing. by embracing technology and never saying, I'm too old for this, she continued to have a, a, a high-quality life. And I... I find that has been an inspiration for me about yeah. never saying I'm too old to do something. I love that. I love to hear that. And it, she's obviously was an amazing role model and it's very obviously the apple has not fallen far <laughs> from the tree. So, Phil, you're a very busy man, but what do you do 
other than practice medicine? Well, but that's a difficulty for me because I've got lots of other interests and I, everything is a compromise, you know. I could spend my time reading journals, but I haven't got that time. So I've always, you know, when I was young, I did athletics, I was a spinner and I had a lifelong love of staying fit, going to gym and running. As a kid, I was like very shy and, you know, dancing to me was something scary. So I always believe, you you know, you have to confront your demons. And I, you know, when I was about 50, I took up dancing, took up tango and salsa. And it's been really very rewarding to me. It gives me an opportunity to mix with people entirely across the age. And it's probably good for you physically and mentally. Yes. Well, I've got to admit, um, actually, Teresa's here with us today. We also attend dance classes once a week uh, for adult classes because dancing is wonderful. You, you can, when you're working on the choreography, there's no time to think about anything else. You completely relax your mind. No, there's a total focus takes you away from all, all your worries. And, you know, I do tango and I do salsa, which are partner dances. And, you know, you can appreciate music and love it, but the person next to you, very hard to feel you share that. Yeah. But dancing sometimes when you're hearing a beautiful piece of music together and uh, doing something creative with it, it's, it's hard to explain to people who don't dance how, how great yeah. that is. Well, I've got to say, I've got to admit, I did uh, a lot of dancing in my in my, my youth, so it's really something that, that I, I love as well. So it's really good to hear that you're doing that. I also have skied at a fairly high level. Oh. I started skiing at 16 and, again, so I'll, I'll spend maybe 10 days twice a year skiing and skiing weekends during the ski season. So, Which, which is your mountain? I, I go to Mount Hotham. Yes. And, you know, I originally used to ski in the US. Then uh, my son worked in France as a ski instructor, so I skied there. And then wow. he's a diplomat. He's moving to Japan. So I'll be skiing a bit in Japan for the next four years. And up north? Um, probably not. There's still good skiing in the main island. Oh, uh, really? Hakaba. Nasawa oh. Onsen, so mm-hmm. we're going there. I love Japan too. It's one of my favourite countries too. Spend some time there. Well, Phil, you've had a, an amazing career and um, you, you've managed to keep your interests and everything. You, you're not burnt out and you're always open to new ideas, which is really inspirational. Um, now we're coming towards the end of the podcast. So here come my rapid-fire questions. Mm. Feel free to answer them not in rapid-fire form. What business decision did you make that if you had your time again, you would handle differently? Yeah, look, I think I was a little bit too scared to buy real estate and I think there would have been more real estate opportunities I should have had that I've taken. Having said that, I'm fine at home. It's not the end of the world. No, it's it's very interesting when you look back at your younger self. Who inspires you? Um, look, I, I would say the people who operate at a high level, people who teach well, uh, you'd have to say Rox Anderson is inspiring. He was the guy who developed the concept of the Candela Pulse Dye Laser. He's pretty amazing. Yeah, fantastic. And what words of wisdom would you give to your younger self? Uh, look, I, my father was born in Iraq and so we, we came here like sort of refugees, I suppose, and I had no role models and I always underestimated my ability a lot and I I think in retrospect I I should have been more confident in my abilities at a younger age. Oh, well, that's interesting. But obviously regardless of that lack of confidence that you feel that you may have had, you've come so far and achieved so much and thank you, Phil, for sharing with us such amazing insights of your professional and personal life. So I would like to thank you and thanks for coming on The Doctor Diaries. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Dr Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.